Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. This is Aaron Mansfield, and today I'm joined in the studio with my co-host, Morgan McClure. Hey, everyone. And Stephen Vaughn. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are discussing miracles in the modern age, so we hope you stay tuned for the complete discussion ahead. Guys, well, today we're jumping off by talking about miracles, and uh, there's a lot of emphasis in our day on the miraculous, on the supernatural. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Today we hear a lot of talk about those things. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Obsessed. Yeah, Hollywood loves it. Oh, yeah, for sure. We see that a lot in movies, specifically the supernatural. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been a lot of books, though, out in the last, I think, five to ten years in terms of miracles and Mm -hmm. uh, experiencing heaven heaven. and coming back from heaven, uh, different things like that. Um, You know, the word miracle gets tossed around a lot today, though. Um, I I think if we're not careful, it's one of those words that we will say without actually understanding what it means. Just for instance, somebody could be, you know, going to the hospital and and they think about the hospital being packed, you know, with the parking garage and everything. And they pull up and there's this space right there in the front parking space. And they're like, it was a miracle. You know, if you've ever been to UVA, that would be a miracle. (laughs) It would be. It sometimes feels like it, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but we we use it to describe things that are while a great blessing and a great work we often use a miracle to describe those things so like back in college i would have friends who they would need money for their school bill right and um the school where i went actually would not let you stay in college if you were like owing money or in debt because they wanted you to pay off your money so you didn't graduate like with a ton of debt so uh out there it's kind of a big deal and i remember there's be some of them sometimes they'll go to their mailbox and they would find like a check for the exact dollar amount that they would need and they would be like it's a miracle and you know and it's like okay well i get what you're saying like is it a great work and a blessing from god sure but did like God create the check out of thin air and place it into your mailbox? No, <laughs> like there's a signature on there from a human, you know? Okay. And so I think sometimes like we can just use it to describe things just like anything in life that is great. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's miraculous. Anything that is astounding. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's right. That's right. So today we're going to kind of segue a little bit here and kind of consider first, before we talk about miracles in the modern age, I think we need to begin uh, by asking the question, how were miracles really used in Scripture. And I think the challenge that we are going to have today as we talk about this is the definition. Morgan is our uh, professional uh, define-your-terms person on the podcast. D-Y-T. And so, uh, Morgan, why don't you take a moment here and kind of explain why you feel like this is so challenging to define our terms as we talk about a miracle. Yeah, so I think starting out, it's just one of those words that when I say it, I mean one thing, but when somebody else says it, they could mean something entirely different. So it's difficult to find a common ground definition for the word miracle. Sure. Um, especially since, like you said, it's used to describe so many different things or events that just happen. And people just have, they come all from a different perspective about it. Yeah, people can mean a litany of different things mm-hmm. when they talk about a miracle. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of referenced that at the beginning, but uh, some people would look at any answer to prayer mm-hmm. as a miracle. Uh, there would be other people that would um, 
look at maybe the salvation mm-hmm. of, of a person, right? The regeneration of a soul uh, being a miracle. I think of sometimes people, um, I mean, you're about to have a baby. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> that's I think, two weeks away. I man, think people, people describe yeah. the childbirth as like a miracle. And it's like, well, is it a great and wonderful thing? And is God mysteriously at work according to Psalm 139 there? Yes. Mm-hmm. But God implemented birth from Genesis as yeah. a way that man would be multiplied upon the earth, you know? So, so, so is it a miracle? So though amazing, it's actually quite ordinary just because of the frequency exactly. and the way that it occurs. Sure. So historically, that's where theologi- theologians, theologians. <laughs> theologians <laughs> have come to understand miracles as not something that happens in the ordinary, yes, sir. in like this, you know, natural system, but something actually extraordinary. Right. Both in terms of kind of natural law mm-hmm. and the way that God's ordained things. We're going to talk a little bit later about providence and common grace. Mm -hmm. But uh, before we talk about that, what most people may not be aware of as we talk about miracles is actually the word miracle uh, does not occur in the Bible, that English word that we use. There are English translations, uh, particularly the NIV and the ESV, that Mm -hmm. use that term miracle. However, in the Greek New Testament, um, there's no one single term uh, for miracle. It's, it's very actually it, well, <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of it's kind of um, extrapolated from a number mm. of different words. Uh, really, there's three different words that the Bible uses in the New Testament Greek, and that is signs, uh, powers, and wonders. And so, let's talk a little bit before we talk about modern age to say, okay, well, how were miracles, these signs and wonders? used in scripture. Yeah. So the idea here is the purpose, right? Like what is behind what's underlying these things. And I believe when you look in scripture, miracles are, it's a manifestation or an example of God's power. It's God uh, at work. So miracles, first of all, I mean, just starting out right with that as a definition, miracles should not be pointing to me mm. or to anyone else. Yeah, Ultimately, they should point to God, sure. right? Yeah. And um, so why, my question would be, why is sign, the word sign that we attribute to um, miracle in scripture, the Greek word behind that, why is that such a big deal in scripture, Morgan? Well, really, it's because a sign is pointing to something. So the miracle is never just a miracle to elevate the miracle itself. It's always pointing to God, pointing to his power and his authority. Mm -hmm. And and so in scripture, we see that happening that way, that a sign is always signifying something. Mm -hmm. It's pointing to something. And so we would kind of ask the question, right, well, what do miracles do in Mm -hmm. scripture? And um, and I think if, if, if anyone's kind of read through the Bible, what you identify pretty easily, I think, as you read through scripture, is that miracles in scripture were often clustered around kind of three major time periods. One would have been uh, during the time of Moses and Joshua, the other during uh, Elijah and Elisha, kind of beginning that prophetic office. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, what most people would probably think off uh, first off their head would be uh, Christ and the apostles. They'd think about the early church. And, um, And apart from those kind of three clusters of things, by and large, miracles in the Bible, apart from those instances, and there are some, but by and large, it's very, very isolated uh, in when it happened. And so the abundance of miracles that often we think about in Scripture are happening at those different events. And um, why do you guys think that is, as we kind of look at that? Well, the the idea behind a miracle is that uh, one of the things it did, it, it didn't just point to God, but it also authenticated his messengers. Mm. 
And so I think of um, when the law was given, right? You referenced that. What's authenticating uh, Moses specifically in that day, right? And then you think of the prophets. Well, this this prophet randomly shows up in a town and starts preaching this message that's Mm -hmm. like crazy if you live in that time period, right? Mm -hmm. To think about some of the things that they would say. Mm -hmm. And on a daily basis, you're hearing somebody say that in the market. Well, the miracles will authenticate their message. That's you know? right. That's right. So they were, you know, someone has once said that the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, that God's fame and God's name are so connected to one another. Yeah. And that was so profound, specifically in the children of Israel under mm-hmm. Moses and Joshua, uh, because the things that were being spoken of by the Lord were being kind of confirmed through these miraculous things. I mean, we think about some of those miraculous things from Moses and and Joshua. I mean, you think about Moses, you think about the parting of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about Joshua and them crossing the Jordan River in flood stage. Yeah. Um, you know, with uh, with Elijah, what comes to mind from Elijah that seems so uh, miraculous, I'm, a miracle that he did? I mean, Elijah was pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Um, I believe Elijah, wasn't he the one who raised the boy back to life? I don't mm-hmm. think that that was Elijah. I'm pretty sure that was Elijah. Yeah. 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 Um, he and went to the widow's house and he raised the boy back. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also Elijah, you know, calling down fire from heaven. Right. I mean, that, of that would be a massive thing. And then, uh, I mean, huge. his understudy, Elisha, mm-hmm. um, he did miracles. I mean, I think at the time when he they lost the axe head mm. and he like puts it down in the water and this axe head starts swimming. And it's yeah. like, Floating and, floats to the top. Um, that's slightly extraordinary. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, like we're suspending like what metal, how metal acts in water here. Right. This is extraordinary. Right. So we see in scripture, there are miracles in scripture. And by and large, those miracles that are happening at these different places of history, um, they served really in some sense, as you were saying, Stephen, they're authenticating the messenger, mm-hmm. but they're also really authenticating and calling attention to the message Mm -hmm. that's being preached, that's being proclaimed. And in some of those instances, God's giving new revelation uh, in those instances. All right, so let's kind of dig a little deeper here, and let's kind of consider some really some passages in the Bible where we see this playing out in terms of authenticating new revelation, in terms of authenticating a messenger, and really calling attention to the message that's being spoken of itself by that miracle, right? So, yeah. So first, I think it's important to look in the Old Testament mm-hmm. um, as we, are, you know, are considering the Bible as one big story. Um, let's go to Moses. And uh, he, you know, God came to him and he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to free my people. And, you know, Moses is just kind of like, me, Lord, why? (laughs) And how he asked the Lord, he's like, how will they know that, you know, it's your authority and it's not mine? And he says, what's in your hand? And he says, my staff. Mm -hmm. He said, throw it on the ground. And what did it become? A snake. And then he puts... Which you would probably not be a fan of if that happened with you, right? Better a snake than a spider, honestly. Honestly. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, and just to give another sign on top of that, he said, put your hand in in your coat. And he pulled it out and it was was full of... Yeah, Yeah, leprosy. So um, Mm. that was just um, one way that God was demonstrating his authority and how he was going to prove that it was him speaking through Moses as his spokesman. Yeah, I think that event there at the burning bush in Exodus is not only authenticating God himself to Moses uh, by what God is doing there, but it's also giving Moses these signs that he is taking with him to Egypt uh, to not only show the credibility of him, 
uh, on behalf of God, of what he is saying, but also to draw attention mm-hmm. um, to this is God who's saying this to Pharaoh, not yeah, Moses. because he does it again in Pharaoh's presence. He does. He does. And right. more. Mm-hmm. Like, more. Yeah. you have to have some, like, some guts to walk into the office of the most powerful man on earth mm-hmm. and be like, hey, uh, your rivers are going to turn to blood. Yeah. Or your oldest children are going to die. I mean, <laughs> you better be pretty certain. <laughs> and I think God, I think what what's happening there is God is really authenticating himself in Moses' life and then preparing him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then as Moses goes, it authenticates his message and him as the messenger. Yeah. yeah. So we see it there. Mm-hmm. And the, but that's not it. There's yeah. other places we yeah. could go to. So let's look at Elijah. And that's there's a particular passage in First Kings 17. Um, and he has uh, been speaking to this woman, and her son was ill. And uh, and this was not the first occasion, I believe, that Elijah had run into this woman. They had had contact before, um, and he's spoken the message of God. Of course, he's a prophet of God. Um, her son was ill, and he died. So Elijah goes to her house and raises her son from the dead. Mm. And so, yes, it's an amazing thing in and of itself. But what the woman says in verse 24, she said, Now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Mm. So through that sign she was able to see like this is not just some guy this is a messenger of the lord and the lord's word is true right and it validated elijah mm-hmm. as a prophet of god in her midst by what he did there but so we could look at the old testament and man there's so many other places so we could many. go you could go for days uh, but we could we want to show a few others in the new testament though uh, probably the one that comes to most people's mind is probably jesus if we think about miracles we think about jesus Pretty i mean good for example. good reason yeah. right sure. um jesus i mean even right from the beginning in his ministry, um, maybe not in his life, but in his ministry, the miracles come onto the scene soon after in much of what we have recorded. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that there was a time period there where he was preparing and whatnot. But like I think of places like John 3, um, yeah, that's a good where one. Nicodemus comes to him in verse 2, and he's like, uh, Rabbi, <laughs> you're a teacher from God, and the way I know it is this, nobody... There's nobody who can do the signs that you're doing unless God had sent them. And that tells me that like Nicodemus had seen Jesus on a very close up and personal basis doing these things. I mean, you think of uh, John six, right? Where Jesus um, shows up on the scene and the disciples are like pulling their hair out. How are we going to feed all these people? We're going to be liable. You know, (laughs) I think of as like a pastor. It's I think of like, like, oh man, what are we going to do? We're going to get like in a bunch of trouble. All these people came out and we don't have anything for them. You know, like almost kind of like our trunk or treat event where we had like double the amount of people (laughs) and we didn't have enough candy, you know, but God, uh, Jesus in the flesh, um, Jesus looks and he says, well, what do we got? And they bring this boy and he has uh, two fishes and five loaves. And what happens? Boom. All of a sudden, 5,000 people are fed by that. I mean, mm. you just walk all throughout. 5,000 men. 5,000 men. So, so there's, 15, so thousand, there's thousands of people. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Estimates had been between twelve and 15,000 by you add by the time you add in women and children, which is insane to think about. And uh, I think sometimes, though, we also forget that the resurrection of Christ. Well, that's a good one. Is one of the... I would call it one of the greatest miracles in all of scripture because what it did is it vindicated every other miracle. And it also was that, that final, um, final piece Mm. in the gospel mission, uh, that Jesus had come to beat sin, death, 
and the grave. And Paul, as he rises yeah. again, yeah. he Paul, comes back. Yeah, you know? Paul, yeah. Paul picks up on that in the New Testament mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. showing how that miracle, the resurrection of Christ, is really the foundational miracle yeah. in terms of uh, what it, like you're saying, vindicates, vindicates Christ to be the Son of God, mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. message. I think about John 20. I was about to bring that up. I yeah. think that John yeah. 20, 30 is like the one verse, because we don't have time to look at all of the miracles, yeah. right? But John twenty thirty sums it up because John is basically like, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, mm-hmm. but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the God. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, whoa. You're right. So like all of these that were written was just a part of them. They were just mm-hmm. a, yeah, it wasn't it was just everything. A, it was just it a was portion. It was just a sampling of yeah. them. It's just a sample. But these sampling, the ones that John picked out in the gospel, he says, these in particular were written, why? So that you might mm-hmm. believe that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. And so he's calling us to see that these signs, these miracles that Jesus did were not in isolation. Yeah. It wasn't that Jesus came doing these miraculous works and these awesome things, but every one of those miracles were purposeful in what it did and how it pointed people to Christ or it pointed people to God and it and it really not only authenticated mm-hmm. Jesus as God's messenger, but like you said, the resurrection, now it's vindicated Jesus mm-hmm. of all the things that he had claimed during his earthly ministry. And the apostles pick up on that in the New Testament. And so then throughout the New Testament, you see the apostles um, also performing these signs and mm-hmm. wonders by God's power. Um, you see it in places like Acts 5, Acts 14, Acts 15. And um, I think the situation with Paul and Barnabas in Iconium is really telling here, because when they did those signs and wonders there in front of people, you you guys remember what happened there? People, how they responded to it was them? like they division. Started... Huh? It was well, like a huge divide. Well, and they also started to worship them. Mm-hmm. Because you had like the unbelieving Jews who I think they probably got a little upset. And then you had the people who were like, whoa, this is cool, you know? Mm. And they were like, yes, bow down to these people. This is like, you know, like this is extraordinary. And you see Paul and Barnabas, though, when 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 they looked at what they had done, they were quick mm-hmm. uh, to draw the attention to where it should have been. And yep. that was on uh, God himself. So, you know, we see these clusters of miracles in Scripture and I think if we look at the biblical record, what we have to come away with is that the miracles being done in Scripture were being done in such a way that they were pointing to something, they were signifying something, and they were authenticating something. We see this in Hebrews 2. I think this is a verse that we can kind of use to wrap it up. And in, in, uh, in Hebrews 2, the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was delivered first by the Lord, notice, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs, wonders, and various miracles. And that word there, miracles, is the Greek word powers, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so we read Hebrews, and this is what I come away with, that these signs and wonders were done in such a way that they were testifying to the authenticity of God's message and his messengers. And so what's really troubling as we think about miracles, and this is what I think often people overlook, is they get so wrapped up in talking about the miraculous, the works itself, that they forget that in Scripture these miraculous things were authentic. 
they were um, confirming really a prophetic office or mm-hmm. a person who was bringing a message to a group of people. And so what's really at stake is actually the authority of Christ, mm-hmm. the authority of the apostles, the authority of the prophets. Honestly, it's the authority of the Word of God itself. Yeah. And I think right? an important thing to note is that when all of these miracles that we see in Scripture were taking place, we didn't, they didn't have Scripture like we have it. It wasn't canonized That's yet, right. you know. That's right. So this, they they had to have their confirmation of authority from somewhere because mm. they didn't have it like we have it in the Word of God. No, that's true. That's true. So theologians have made a distinction historically between a narrow definition of a miracle mm-hmm. and then kind of in a broad sense definition. I think this is where a lot of the disagreement happens mm-hmm. when people are talking about miracles because they actually mean different things by what they're talking about. Um, they've theologians have made this distinction between. What is truly a bona fide, real miracle, uh, something that is superintending the natural order of things and is drawing attention, uh, signifying a messenger of God and a work Mm. of God. And they've made a distinction narrowly between that and then kind of a broad understanding of a miracle, which could simply be, you know, any work of God, uh, any work of God that is supernaturally... um, I guess I should say in terms of God's providential work Mm -hmm. and humanity, how that's playing out. Yeah, because God is at work. And I think that that's where we have to like bring things back around because it's Mm -hmm. not that we're saying that God does not work today Mm -hmm. Mm because that's not biblical. (laughs) God is active today. God is very active active today. today. But what we mean by when we're saying providence and common grace, those are two different things that we're going to bring to light here as how God works uh, many times in today that sometimes we would call miracles, right? And and they're worth no less in value. No, they're no less in value and they're often overlooked. We don't, I think in the or misunderstood. Or misunderstood. Have a good understanding of what providence is yeah. and what it isn't and what are God's common graces that he's given all of mankind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, again, back to defining our terms because that's very important. When we're talking about providence, we're talking about this idea where God is at work throughout history, throughout time in a sovereign manner. Mm-hmm. And so God is orchestrating what is going on and he is ruling over in a providential way. So things happen in God's ruling because he is at work in a sovereign way, right? Mm -hmm. And we see God's providence at work daily. But then we also think of like this idea of common grace where we have been afforded things in a uh, ordinary way that sometimes work in ex- for extraordinary Through means, right? Through his creation Through his of creation. what God's ordained. So right. one, I think the best illustration, yeah. best illustration is um, how modern medicine works, yeah, right? Yeah, that's a good one. And how God has throughout time given man the uh, cognitive ability to grow in knowledge and to heap up this mounds of knowledge when it comes to medicine. And how today you can have like maybe it's cancer or disease and how God will work through that common grace a modern medicine to bring about healing, which Mm. is extraordinary in a sense, right? In a broad sense of the term, it's extraordinary, but it's ordinary in the sense that it is a common grace afforded to many. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think people could look at the human body and we would come away with this wonder of what God has made. I mean, you know, when I talk to people and they've been in the hospital and then I learn kind of this new technology of things that are being done, it's just like, man, like it's this, this depth of what God has done in the human body. And like you're saying, we're so appreciative of doctors and nurses and that common grace that God's given in that aspect. But 
ultimately, God's the only one who heals. Mm-hmm. I mean, doctors and nurses yeah. cut on things and they open things and they stitch things, but ultimately it's the body itself and God's providential working. It's it's not superintending the natural, mm-hmm. but it's God controlling the natural. That's what providence is. It's 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 kind of um, like a restoration of yeah. the natural. Yeah. Which is what, that's what we're talking about in the broad sense there too. Yeah. Is that there is this broad sense, but when we come down to this narrow sense, we are talking more about of it in the narrow sense of the term miracle when we're defining it. Historically, it would be looked at, and it, even in scripture, it would be looked at as this almost a suspension or a redefining of the natural, right? And so like um, a good illustration would be the crossing at the Red Sea. That is unnatural um, for a seed to split, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, like in the New Testament, a great illustration would be, I mean, like when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Mm -hmm. He had been in the grave so long that people wouldn't even go up to the grave because they were like, it's going to stink, it's going to be disgusting. Like he was dead, dead. He was dead. There was no life support. (laughs) They reversed the natural completely, and that's a miracle. Mm. That is, in the narrow sense of the word, that is a perfect example. What we often attribute to be um, miracles today, largely, quite largely, falls short of the kind and the quality of miracles you see in Mm -hmm. Scripture. I mean, you look at the parting of the Red Sea or the parting of the Jordan or raising people from uh, death to life in a physical manner. You see... um, you see blind people seeing, you mm-hmm. see, you know, lame, maybe people without limbs having limbs. Yeah. I mean, there's this, this mm-hmm. um, there's this true miraculous um, work of God that it's outside of the ordinary. And it's interrupting anything natural. Any natural thing. So, um, so I think that's helpful as we think about miracles, uh, consider how miracles are, uh, defined in a narrow sense and then kind of how they're defined in a broad sense. And when we say that in a broad sense, what we're saying here and what we need to clarify is that the, really the question is not a question of, is God still active in the world today? Mm -hmm. The question is not, can he, because that's Mm -hmm. often what gets thrown around with miracles today. Well, can God do this? Can he do this? Look what he did in the old Testament. Well, can he still do that? No, the question is not, can he, Uh, the question is definitely not, did he, Mm -hmm. Uh, the question is, is he, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is God doing these kind of miracles today? This narrow definition miracle Uh, The Bible is clear. All things are possible with God. So Mm -hmm. God's power is not diminished. But what we're trying to show here is that in the Bible, when the word signs, wonders, and powers are being used in that kind of narrow definition, um, it is truly something that God is doing outside of that miracle. Something that helped me as I was kind of studying for our podcast today was the thought that miracles never stand alone. Mm -hmm. That's often what is being perpetuated in the things that we call miracles today. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has their own secret or private miracle. That's mm-hmm. the word that it gets talked about. Yeah. And I think um, inevitably, as we're talking about the definitions of, you know, narrow and broad versus, you know, what what is a miracle? It comes to mind, like, what about these satanic signs and wonders that mm-hmm. people see and that we encounter in different theologies and beliefs. Yeah, the Bible has something to say about that. I, the first passage I would go to would be in Matthew chapter 12. There's a discussion there between Jesus and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees really come to Jesus accusing him 
of of um, that he was casting out demons, uh, and he was he was Satan himself, and um, and there's a discussion there. Remember the demon possessed man, um, and Jesus said in verse twenty five. Every kingdom against itself is laid to waste. No city or house divided itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom your sons cast them out, therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is saying something to the Pharisees there. What is he saying to them? I mean, what is kind of the takeaway of what he's uh, telling them? He's uh, once again just establishing his authority that he said, you know, if if I were Satan, I would not be doing this against mm-hmm. my own kingdom because that just doesn't work that way. And he's he's saying, look, because I have done this and because you have seen it, you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you and it's you know, fulfillment of prophecy. And it's once again, bringing in this new revelation, not in the sense that it contradicts anything that was given before by the Old Testament prophets, but that it is um, completing. This is a more complete and full revelation that he is establishing among the people. Yeah, I see the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees there as if Jesus is like using the miracles to validate his claims mm-hmm. of, of who he was and showing that by nature, by doing the miraculous, the miracle and that narrow definition, uh, that was something that Satan was unable to do. Right, right. Um, you know, we look at scripture and we can see where in Revelation, you see this in Second Thessalonians, uh, where Satan in Second Thessalonians, also in Revelation, the Antichrist will use signs and wonders to deceive mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. to deceive people. But the question has to be asked when you see those things in Scripture um, with the magicians, whether they were in the Old Testament with Moses, or you look at what was happening in the book of Acts, the miracle worker, the attention, the the focus of the miracle, especially in the book of Acts, you can see this very clearly, mm-hmm. was being drawn to the person performing the miracle, mm-hmm. uh, not to God himself. And so in essence, based on that narrow definition, those miracles were counterfeit. Mm-hmm. They weren't real, true, bona fide, as you said, miracles, because they weren't directing back to the message or it wasn't authenticating a messenger from God. It was Mm -hmm. actually detracting from it. Yeah, because often when we ask about (laughs) satanic signs or can Satan do miracles, what we're saying is, does Satan have the power to do things that are wild and that can be deceptive? Mm. And we aren't getting to the point of like, what is actually a miracle? And when we, when we equate those things, quite often what we can do is we can give Satan a little bit more power than he actually like deserves or has. Mm-hmm. And That's we kind of true. almost start to equate the authority of Satan with the authority of Christ. Mm. And we got to be really As careful As if they are there. polar opposites. We have to be really mm. that careful. that is not true because wasn't it C.S. Lewis? I can't remember what book. I wish I could. Maybe you guys can help <laughs> me here. But, but C.S. Lewis talks about that. Everything that Satan does is a counterfeit. It's a twist of what God has created. He mm-hmm. can't create right. desire. I think it was that in the in Wormwood. Like C.S. Oh, Lewis. Yeah. Uh, screw tape yeah. letters. Yeah. And he was yeah. talking about God can't, uh, I'm sorry, Satan can't create um, this type of um, 
I just lost my train of thought. That's terrible. But basically, all he has to do is twist what's already there yeah. because he can't exactly. make anything new. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And it's like the old adage, like, well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. He's not omnipresent. There is no chance in this world that the devil is here and there and everywhere all at the same time making all of you people do it. Um, the flesh is there. He has demons. So, I mean, maybe could you argue some of that? But we all have a flesh, you know? And mm -hmm. so a lot of times in just our everyday language, we give Satan way more power than he has or than he deserves or than that scripture says he has. Sure. Right. Yeah. So here's where we want to kind of, as you're listening with us today, uh, this is kind of where we're going to understand that miracles in the Bible were used to point to something, uh, to signify something. And what was at stake in every one of those miracles, because you can see this in the Old Testament, if a prophet of God did not if his prophecy did not come through, then God was saying, no, then he's a false prophet. Yeah. And so there's this aspect between the miraculous, the miracles in the Bible, and the authority of what was being spoken. And so, yeah, so there was like a certain necessity of those miracles hmm. in the time of the Old Testament and the prophets. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when Jesus came on the scene, there was a necessity because that validation had to be there. Mm, yeah, because we now having the Bible, Scripture, mm -hmm. and, and, and its completion is now the Bible itself really was the end of what all of those miracles were <laughs> or kind of some of them. Some of the miracles okay. are scripture, you know, like yeah. the accounts of the miracles. Okay. Some of those yeah. have made it into scripture. So mm -hmm. it validated scripture. It completed scripture. It was a part of scripture. I mean, you think about being somebody in the day and age that Jesus and the apostles came, mm -hmm. they show up and on word of mouth and the old Testament, they show up and say, hey, I met this guy named Jesus. He died, rose again. You should believe in him. Mm. Well, you what? Beat, no, well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In, so, in some way, there's a questioning there of like, what? Well, there were some signs and wonders that accompanied this, That's though. Right. And that God in his grace and mercy was willing to give to us. But why? It points back to God and the gospel. Mm -hmm. It points back to who Jesus is, and it validates yeah, this. Mm -hmm. Right, because the miracles were pointing to prophecy. And I think about what Peter says in Second Peter. He says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, mm -hmm. yeah. and he's referring to Scripture. And so, um, once again, it should elevate the Bible. It should mm -hmm. elevate uh, the truth of God's word. So we kind of going to segue here. We're going to kind of take a little bit of a, a, a shift. And with our remaining time today... I think this is where people are probably at, and they're asking this question mm -hmm. then. But we needed to lay that foundation, I think, before we could talk about yeah. some of this. Uh, but the question really then is, how should a Christian think about miracles today? How should we think about, and that's part of the goal of the podcast, is not to tell people what to think, but to kind of help give them a framework of how to think. And so what are some things we need to think about as we kind of think about our miracles, what we hear of miracles happening today? How do we think about that? Well, I think that we need to begin, first of all, by just looking and recognizing how God has worked throughout history in mm -hmm. his word. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if you were to sit down and study every miracle in the Bible in the narrow sense, it would be astounding to see how God has worked in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that this is important because this is significant in God's redemptive plan. This is significant to the gospel. Why? Well, because it authenticates the message and the messenger. Mm -hmm. um, these signs and wonders point to something. This power, that, that's what I love about those three words. Signs point to something. 
power comes from something and wonder makes you ask, who is this? Mm, that's right. All yeah. three of those that's words right. are very key in the Greek New Testament because they all have this idea of someone behind all of this. And it was all significant. And it's God. Yeah. yeah. And what God has done in history. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, that's a good observation. Yeah. I think, uh, secondly, um, as Christians, we also need to realize that there are still miraculous things happening in the world and we don't need to discount the fact that God still does things that we can't explain and we can't replicate. You know, I think around the world um, in, in frontier, frontline mission settings where they're still going to the unreached and unengaged, meaning that these people have no Bible. No one has, they, there aren't enough believers there that are, you know, making more disciples. Um, God is supernaturally moving through the Holy Spirit to draw people to himself in those mm-hmm. settings. I think of, um, I, if you know me, I am very interested in the Middle East and how God works through visions and dreams and power encounters even um, for Muslims. And then that is part of their faith journey to Christ. And oftentimes it's not, you know, this, it's not a very like, private miracle like what you were saying sometimes it is it's it's a very personal supernatural experience that can't be explained but god always uses those to draw people to to someone who in turn tells them about jesus Mm. and and shares the gospel with them gives them the word of god and so it rarely i i can't think of a specific example where it was just solely their encounter that made them decide to follow Jesus, but it was that encounter that pushed them over to the edge to finally search to for themselves. To seek who somebody or to find yes. somebody who, who shared the gospel yeah, with Yeah, who was this yeah. man that came to me in my dream? What was this vision I had? Yeah. Um, and it's it's quite incredible, really, to see what's yeah, happening in the world. We want to think about miracles in terms of what we see in the United States yeah. and then what is perpetuated maybe on TV or things mm-hmm. like that, <laughs> when in actual fact, there is probably a lot more miraculous things happening around the world, specifically in some of those cutting-edge missions places. Um, You know, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology, he talks about what constitutes a miracle in the narrow definition. And he really was talking about how miracles um, in that narrow sense in scripture were being used. But if you think about the work of God happening today, God can do some miraculous things as we would think about it like that to confirm Mm -hmm. the truthfulness of the gospel, he says, to bring help to those in need, he says, to remove hindrances to people's ministries, he says, and ultimately to bring glory to God. And so if it's facilitating that aspect of things, you know, what we're trying to say is, you know, there could be a very narrow way of looking at what constitutes a true miracle. That's not taking away at all the aspect of the work of God mm-hmm. happening in our day to day. Right. And especially whenever you read those stories, the, the supernatural things or the miraculous things that happen are never contradicting scripture. Mm. They're actually affirming what has already been written. And, and that's the most incredible thing. It's not new revelation. It's, mm. it's old revelation mm-hmm. affirmed. Yeah. And no, not at all taking away from what God's doing in the world today. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say, though, my one thing that I would say, I'm not going to speak for you guys, but as I look at the world today, I see what's often being equated to be a miracle today falls very short mm-hmm. of the kind of miracles you see in mm-hmm. Scripture. And uh, But it's really elevating the fact that there is works of God happening today. I, you know, What I would just kind of add to this would be the observation of avoid seeing everything in the extremes. You know, we've been kind of teasing this out over the last few episodes um, because there's a balance in things. And and I think there's a danger in seeing everything as a miracle. You know, it's just like, look what happened today. This was a miracle. Look what happened yesterday. That's a miracle. And then there's a danger of seeing nothing as a miracle. Yeah. 
you know, because uh, you look at the Bible and you see, you know, there are, there are miraculous things like true miracles happening. Mm-hmm. And then you look at other passages of the Bible that may not have, you know, a miracle defined in the narrow sense, like we would use it. Yet there is some truly awesome things that God's doing yeah. in those days and yeah. um, in works of providence. And um, yeah, I think that that's know, important. That so we, guard against the extremes. I think it's important to like off of that to understand miraculous works in that broad sense of how God works through providence, common grace, and how that really, a lot of those things that we would define as miraculous works, even like what you were saying, Morgan, earlier, they connect to God's redemptive plan. Yeah. Uh, they aren't alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're not careful, we can get this hyper charismatic theology, which is a bad theology because it states that miracles, signs, mm. gifts, all these things, um, all of it is grouped in to edify believers. Mm. Well, we can find in scripture where spiritual gifts are given to edify the church. But they grouped in signs and miracles and all these other things, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. If you look in Scripture, if you read Scripture closely, all over the New Testament, what will you find if you find signs, miracles, wonders? It was either preceding, with, or right after the gospel going forth. Mm-hmm. And it was all about God's redemptive plan. And we've become so consumed, I think, in our modern age with, like, can God do this or God wants to do this for me, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I think of like, I think of, I think of like a modern example of like, um, a church out in California, Bethel, where like, it's this school of supernatural, what, what's the name of it? It's you were brought it the up Bethel the other day. School of supernatural ministry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's this idea of like, well, God wants to do a supernatural work in me and through me. And it's like, okay, well time out. God has already done a supernatural work by giving Jesus Christ his son to die for the sins of mankind and rise again, the ultimate vindicating miracle. And he's given you his word. We don't need (laughs) the same supernatural works, nor is God giving us those in that same sense. Right. And that's, and that's the thing. And that is one real danger that I would just warn listeners remind myself of is that when when you hear of someone teaching or preaching this quote-unquote gospel that asserts that you need some sort of supernatural sign or some supernatural gift in order to continue to grow in Christ that just isn't true or it, I mean I have it I've had it said to me that you know if you don't speak in tongues then you you aren't really a believer mm-hmm. and and so with this idea that um this was God's it's God's plan to use signs and gifts in every single believer they've taken something that was descriptive of a certain time and mm-hmm. going back to what you said several episodes ago it's become prescriptive mm-hmm. for everyone um because some in this theology they believe that when Jesus left heaven, he completely emptied himself of God. So he was only man. Mm-hmm. And then that's where you really fall into the danger of Which a big problem with that theology. We're bringing about a, a helpful thing. And that is this, that, you know, the Bible says that we're complete in him. Mm-hmm. Colossians mm-hmm. says in Christ, we're complete. The problem, I think, with what you see being perpetuated in many places today in terms of miracles is accompanied with um, really kind of a charismatic, uh, char- uh, charismatic hyper movement. charismatic theology. It is, it's, it mm-hmm. is, but it's a bad theology. Mm-hmm. And so, once again, are those signs 
in scripture, you look at the miracle and the miracle was always lifting up the message and the messenger and authenticating that. And I would say, man, mm-hmm. that's troubling for me today to say that God's doing these works, these miracles, and what's being accompanied with it is a terrible, bad theology. Right, and mm-hmm. that the idea that scripture is not enough and that we cannot rely on scripture as the full and complete revelation of God. All right, so let's kind of just stop here for a moment, though, while we're on this thought and kind of ask the question that I think maybe many people are asking as they're listening today, and, and that is often where we see miracles um, playing out in our present day, and the question comes up, what about healing? What about healing? Um, you know, I, I think as you look at the church today in kind of a broad spectrum, you kind of see two extremes uh, being perpetuated. One is this idea of of God's will. And so ultimately, God's will will be accomplished, irregardless of how we pray, irregardless of of what happens. It's kind of this real extreme view of providence, mm-hmm. uh, of God's sovereignty, of, of ultimately what will happen, God will make happen. And then there's really the other extreme uh, where you see people looking at certain verses and perpetuating. Both of them have kernels of, I mean, both of them have truth. Both of those extremes have truth. And I guess the other extreme would be looking at scripture and seeing verses where Jesus says, well, if you ask anything in my name, uh, I will do it, that the Father will be glorified in the Son. And then you see places in James 5 where you see, like, we'll call on the elders of the church and the prayer of faith will uh, will heal mm-hmm. the one who's sick. And so, you know, there's kind of this tension maybe between those two extremes. I guess, how do we how do we reconcile that tr- that tension as we think about healing and miracles? Yeah, so I, I think right up front, a way that we can reconcile is we need to answer two questions. What did God say and what did God give us? Mm. And I think when we look at what did God say, we look at what you were just referencing in James 5, call upon the elders. When we look at passages uh, about where it says that if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, you know? So what did God say? And then also what has God given us? So this goes back to that idea of the common graces that God has given us. So modern medicine, so on and so on. And once we answer those questions, we need to really get down to the root of this. Is the root about healing or is it about the glory of God? Mm. And I would argue that this is a glory issue, not just a healing issue. Uh, whenever, uh, whenever we're talking about healing miracles, I think one of the biggest keys is who gets the glory and why is the healing sought after? Um, obviously, mm. we all want to get better and feel better physically. That's a great desire. That's not an innately sinful desire. No. However, if God heals, who gets the glory? Does God get the glory? Because God says in his word, if you ask anything in my name, so the glory is going to God, it's going to be from God, and it's going to be in accordance with his will. And um, I think we need to remember that when we're talking about healing miracles of we should be praying and asking in faith. Mm -hmm. God's word says so. We can seek these common graces. But at the end of the day, if God heals or doesn't heal his name, needs to be glorified. And I think we brought up earlier about how Paul would talk about his thorn in the yeah, flesh, I don't think we've talked right? About that yet. Have we not no, talked no, about that no. yet? Yeah, well, we talked about we're in uh in the New Testament, Paul he says that he has this thorn in the flesh. And then he says that he asked God on multiple occasions to take away and he didn't. Mm-hmm. But at the very end he says, 
your grace is sufficient for me. Right. This idea of your name will be glorified, your strength will get me through this, and I will continue on following you. Yeah, yeah. No, Paul's a good example of this because there's other places in the New Testament where you look at Paul's interaction with Timothy. Now, yeah. of course, Paul was an apostle, and, and many of these miracles uh, Paul performed through God's power, through his spirit, and, and, and it was once again showing, it was signifying uh, Paul as an apostle and then the message that he carried. But I find it interesting as you see Paul's interaction with Timothy, you know, Timothy mm-hmm. wasn't well. And Paul says, well, wait, take a little wine for your stomach's mm-hmm. sake, Timothy. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not, it's not, it's not this, hey, Timothy, have enough faith. Mm-hmm. Timothy, have enough faith and you'll be healed. That You don't see this miracle working healing meeting coming up in the life of the church and we're going to lay hands and anoint Timothy and Timothy's going to be made well. Well, you see a little different aspect there that Paul is bringing out. And I think one thing we take away as we think about Paul's interaction and his sufferings and his prayers was the fact that if we look at miracles in the Bible as a very narrow, defined way, then we would we would come away with the understanding, not the question, can God or, you know, um, will God? The question is, is God doing yeah. that today? Yeah. Yep. Because once again, I would argue the type of miracles that you see people seeking healing for today are very different mm-hmm. situations than the New Testament. Why is it that people will have faith to believe God to heal them in terms of cancer or in terms of um, maybe a, a, a stomach sickness or something like that, but then in terms of their blindness, maybe they're not praying, believing God to heal in that way. Um, so the question that I think comes about is, is God doing miraculous works? And, and of course, there are works of God happening today all around us. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis. He helped clarify this in a way that I thought was helpful. He says, there is a sense in which no doctor ever heals. Doctors themselves would be the first to admit this, he says. The magic is not in the medicine, but in the patient's body, in the recuperative or self-correcting energy of nature. And he goes on to show in in his quote there how all of this system of nature is a part of God's providence in Mm -hmm. terms of creation, in terms of his common grace. And so I think what you're getting at, Stephen, is is right. You you look at Scripture, and there are certain things that the Bible tells us to pray about. And the Bible says pray about all things. There's mm-hmm. nothing excluded from that. It's not as if God says, "Well, I want to hear your prayer about this, but I don't want to hear you talk about that." Okay. Your 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 call, your your cry to me for that. I think God wants us to come before Him with all of the needs in our life, um, and have faith to believe that God can, um, and yet also understand that in part of this grand scheme of what God has done, there is these common graces that God is working through. There is providence. And then even the understanding of suffering that I don't think in the church today, we have a real good understanding about that. Yeah. And I, and I just want to kind of go back to what Stephen said about, um, you know, God being glorified in any of the works, the, the extraordinary works that God is still doing today and the supernatural healings. And, um, you know, when he doesn't heal, um, I think about the, the glory, God receiving the glory, but also I think it's so important for us to remember to be mindful that God is the one who has the ultimate authority. And so we cannot declare healing with the authority that God has, and we cannot demand healing 
on our own authority. Which is what you see happening today yes. a lot and in so, some of these miracle working services right. is this declaring it to be so. Right, because God, if He's deser- if he, he has all the authority, then he certainly deserves all the glory. And I, I think of two very real, real-life examples. Um, one of my uh, favorite authors, Nabil Qureshi, he um, wrote the book Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, and um, he converted to Christianity um, has this amazing testimony, but in his 30s was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, you know, they prayed for his healing. He had people around the world praying for his healing um, in a humble way, seeking the Lord. Um, and he was not healed. He um, uh, ended up dying from his illness. But it, all throughout that journey, it was all about God, how are you going to be glorified in this? How are you, how is your name and your message of truth going to go forth despite all of this happening within me? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, I have a friend who very recently, their mother was diagnosed with the COVID-19 virus in addition to pneumonia. And it was looking very, very grim. She was very sick uh, to the point of death. Um, and they publicly sought prayer from friends through social media um, and phone calls and texts. And um, But they, they never declared healing over their mother. Mm. They never said she will be healed because of we have the authority because they recognized it's all in the Lord's hands and it's for his glory. And she was healed in a way that is very difficult to explain other than the fact that God healed her. Yeah, there's a work of God that the Lord did in that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you know, we're not going to take time to do this, but the question would be asked, okay, well, is that a miracle in the narrow definition of the miracle or is that a miracle in the broad definition of, of, of how God worked in a miraculous way? Because I see in scripture, it's always going back to this idea that, you know, the scripture is kind of the end product of all of the miraculous things that were yeah. wrought in scripture. And it's always bringing glory to God. It's always elevating God. And so this aspect of healing, I think there's this understanding today that as Christians, we need to pray in faith, believing mm-hmm. uh, for, for what God, not once again, not what God can do or did he do, uh, but really trusting him and believing for what he would do in that situation. And then at the same time, resting in the sovereignty of God, resting in mm-hmm. uh, how God will answer in that way, because I will give this one last clarifying thing as we think about some things to think through, and that is that, you know, miracles never produce belief. There's this idea today where people are like, oh, if I just saw it, then I would believe that. Well, that Mm -hmm. was what people said in Jesus's day. I mean, Luke, in Luke 16, verse 31, he says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's a pretty hefty statement. Mm, It is a very heavy (laughs) statement, yeah. Well, because what Jesus is saying, he says, look, it doesn't matter if somebody comes back from the dead. He says they won't be convinced of that. Miracles don't convince people that God exists. Mm -hmm. That's wrongly spoken, that miracles convince people that God exists. No, they don't. Miracles don't convince people that God exists. You look in the Old Testament, look at Israel. Israel had countless miracles in the nation of Israel. And yet the Bible says in Exodus, a whole generation died in the wilderness. And what? And what? They died in unbelief. You look in the New Testament, some of the same people that were there that were a part of that miracle that Jesus did with the feeding of the 5,000. Saw it with their own eyes. Saw They ate the food. They ate the miracle. I mean, that's what I'm saying. The work of God, the true miracle that was accomplished. And yet even there in John 6, you see them turning away because they didn't believe in mm-hmm. Jesus. So miracles do not produce faith. The Bible mm-hmm. says faith cometh by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. So as we kind of just wrap up the discussion today, any kind of last minute concluding uh, thoughts that you'd like to share with everyone? Yeah. So I would just conclude by saying God's still at work. So don't, don't, don't take that away from this, that God doesn't work anymore. No, he does. But let us be careful of what we attribute to miracles and what we attribute to God's work. And then also let's be, let's be careful about how much authority we give to people and mm-hmm. Satan. Uh, authority is God's alone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And God has the authority of miracles. And so when we become enamored with these different supernatural quote unquote things, let's be very um, learned here and go back to God in his word and see how this matches up instead of just instantly being, oh, whoa, and obsessed like our culture mm-hmm. is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say um, just if I could sum all this up with one driving force of a message, I would say scripture is enough. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we have. It, scripture is the complete revelation that we have from God. Um, and seeking new revelation is just kind of, you know, saying that, okay, God, what you've given us in this incredible book that has is still living and breathing and active it's not enough for us. And then, you know, not to get distracted by the things of God instead of seeking after God himself. That's good. You know, that's good. And I I come away with it too, with this understanding that, you know, the authentication of the things these miracles were doing really was uh, the scripture now that we have is, is kind of the completion Mm -hmm. of that. We, we come away with, I think, a renewed confidence in the word of God. And, um, and trusting uh, what the Bible says, not what we would want to believe, but there's a more sure word of prophecy. There's an anchor uh, for our souls. Well, thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. If you're listening to this uh, during the seasons of how we're laying out episodes, we'd encourage you to mark a date on your calendar that is August the 20th of 2020, August 20th, 2020, and find the Where We Land Facebook page. We will do a live episode that night. We look forward to seeing you here next time.